Sambo, grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast, bringing you true crime from around the world. Hi Islanders, well, happy new year to all. Now, this week's case comes from northwest Sydney, where a double homicide in a massage parlour is committed on Valentine's Day. So, references tonight are from realestate.com.au, Sydney Morning Herald, The Forensic Investigation Show, and a lot of it's from Court Records. Okay, so tonight we have a double homicide. In fact, there's going to be more, but more of that at the end. Now, it was perpetrated on that one day of the year that lovers get together, they spend plenty of dough, and they celebrate Valentine's Day. Now, I remember this case when it happened back in 1994, and as the story unfolded, it really hit home on how you could just be in the wrong place at the wrong time and lose your life, as would happen to one of the victims. So... The scene of the crime would be 4 Flagstaff Street, Gladesville, a freestanding single-storey red brick freehold cottage with ample on-site car parking and a lock-up garage at the rear. Now, it was ultra-convenient location, directly opposite the Gladesville shopping village and close to the vibrant local shops and amenities. Now, the place just looked like a typical house from the street but it was home to Kerry's Oasis, a massage parlour, but not a sort of sports injury or real massage. It catered for those that wanted a maybe a rub and a tug with a happy ending. Opened in 1992, it had three rooms for massage, one containing a solarium and a vibrosaurn. Now, a vibrosaurn is apparently, according to... Wikipedia, not so much Wikipedia, but their their own website, is a state-of-the-art therapeutic massage capsule that simulates exercise by circulating dry heat while vibrating the body. Now, to me, it looks like an iron lung. You open it up and at the top, get in, and then it must just do its thing. Actually, from side on, it looks a bit like a jet ski. Anyway... This massage parlour, Kerry's Oasis, was owned and run by 36-year-old Kerry Pang, a divorced mother of five, who was in a de facto relationship at the time with 57-year-old Mark Lewis. Now, they'd been together for several years. They lived in a rented house in Cherrybrook and had one 15-month-old son together. Now, Mark ran a similar business, this rub-and-tug massage parlour at West Ride, which is only just up the road from Gladesville. Okay, so, around 7.30pm on Monday, the 14th of February, 1994, Valentine's Day, firefighters are called to the four Flagstaff Street residence after reports of smoke billowing from the back part of the house. Now, at the front of the house, there is signage pointing to the reception entrance, which is down the side of the house. Now, when firefighters break in, they see a woman slumped on a white leather couch in one of the rooms. She's covered in blood, and then further down the hallway, in a back room, there's smoke and fire. So they go down there, and inside they see this sort of half-burnt body of a woman. 
Now they drag her out in the hallway, believing that maybe she's still alive. But then they notice she suffered multiple injuries and is already dead. Now investigation would reveal the identity of the woman on the couch to be 25-year-old Fatima Ozanol of North Parramatta, which isn't far away. She was a divorced mother of a six-year-old girl. Now, an autopsy would show she'd been shot three times in the head at point-blank range with a .22 calibre round. The partially burnt victim in the other room would be identified as Kerry Pang, the co-owner of Kerry's Oasis. Now, Mark Lewis, he arrives on the scene at around 9.15pm and he collapsed when he's told his de facto partner had perished, well, perished in the fire. I don't know if the firefighters... We're going to say that she'd been stabbed to death or if they even realised she'd been stabbed to death at this point. Anyway, his van, a Toyota Tarago, was parked haphazardly up the road and police and firefighters had to restrain him from entering the premises. He was screaming out Kerry's name. Oh, Kerry, no, it couldn't happen, blah, 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 all this sort of bullshit. In fact, an autopsy and crime scene investigation would reveal that Kerry had been stabbed 18 times. She'd staggered to the office in the rear of the premises, had a throat cut, and was then shot in the head with a .22 calibre round. Now, this sort of frenzied attack usually indicates the perpetrator had some sort of relationship to the victim. So, as you can imagine, Mark Lewis is interviewed by police. Now, they've searched the Trago van, and guess what they find? A .22 rifle in a rifle bag. Now, inside this bag, there are a couple of small blood spots and on the outside, a couple more. Now, Lewis's clothes are taken for examination and they also have a couple of blood spots on them. Now, along with the rifle, the rifle bag, the clothes, these are going to get sent to forensics for DNA swabbing, all that sort of stuff, ballistics checks. Now, in the interview, they asked Lewis about his movements on the night of the killings. He tells investigators that about 5.30pm, Kerry was at her business premises, Kerry Oasis. At that time, he was at his business premises in West Ride, which, like I said before, is only just up the road and it's another rub-and-tug massage parlour. Also at these premises was Christine Lee. This is West Ride, another employee of Kerry's business who happened to be helping out at Lewis's business that day. Between about 5.30pm, Lewis telephoned Kerry and said that he wasn't feeling well and asked if she would come pick him up at West Ride and take him home. Kerry then drove the 10 minutes to the West Ride premises. Lewis then says that she arrives, picks him up, but they decide to drive both cars back to Kerry's oasis and this is around 6pm. They arrive there at around 6.11pm after stopping off at a shop to buy bread, butter and tuna. Now, both cars were then parked in the car park at Kerry's Oasis at around 6.20pm. Lewis said they both stood beside the Tarago van while he got a bag containing that .22 rifle out from the back seat area. You know how they've got the sliding doors on these vans. They both walked to the door of Kerry's Oasis and then Kerry went inside. Lewis then decided, he said, Kerry, I'm not leaving the rifle here at the premises. He went, goes back to the van puts it in the back of the van and drives off to his massage parlour in West Ride. Lewis then said he reached the West Ride premises around 7pm. You don't know how many times I've tried to say Lewis said he reached the West, rest, 
West rest West ride premises. <laughs> anyway, he reckons he gets there at about seven PM. Lewis also made the comment that he'd received a phone call from an unknown person threatening Kerry's life earlier in the afternoon. He did tell Kerry this when she'd arrived to pick him up at West Ride. Kerry called Ride Police Station and spoke to a Sergeant DeBellin and told him about the death threat. Now, Lewis also got on the phone and spoke to Sergeant DeBellin as well. Kerry told Sergeant DeBellin that she wished to speak to Detective Letchford about the matter and was told that Detective Letchford was with the Chatsworth Police. Kerry then left a message for Detective Letchford with the Chatsworth Police. Now, this is around 6.50 to 7pm. Okay, so it turns out that the blood spots on Lewis's clothing and on the outside of the rifle bag are matched to Kerry. But as a couple, they live, they work together. This really doesn't hold much weight as any evidence of foul play. The rifle found in the back of the van is also tested against discharged shells found at the scene, but they don't match Lewis's rifle, nor do they match any of the other seven rifles that he owns. But as witnesses are interviewed, Lewis's timeline of events seemed to be out by about an hour. Now, Christine Lee, she worked at the West Ride place on that night. She normally works at Kerry's Oasis. She said that Lewis arrived back at the parlour at about 8pm, not 7pm, as he'd told police. Now, this puts him at the scene, maybe, around the time of the killings. In fact, several phone calls between Lewis and Kerry established that his versions of events were highly improbable to have happened when he said they did happen. And again, they were out by about an hour. At 7.11pm, there was a call from Kerry's mobile phone to Kerry's oasis, presumably to advise Fatima Ozenal that she was on her way back. At 7.18pm, there was a call from Kerry's mobile phone to the West Ride premises, where Christine Lee remained, in which, according to her, Kerry asked if everything was all right there. Now, there wasn't enough to charge Lewis with anything, and after a couple of years, there was no real progress in the case. But then this 41-year-old Lindsay Robert Rose is in a pub having a drink with one of his mates, unaware that this guy is actually a police informant. Rose had the nickname, or he gave himself the nickname, The Mechanic, after the Charles Bronson 1972 film where Charles stars as a hitman that wants to retire, but there's this younger man, his apprentice, wanting to learn the trade. Now, Rose starts to brag about a double killing in Gladesville he committed on Valentine's Day, as well as other murders. Well, this informant is all ears. Rose tell him that he did it with a guy named Donnie. Now, he's a, he called him his apprentice, just like in the film. When the cops get this tip off, they go in search of not only Rose, but also this Donnie character. Now, there'll be this task force Yandy that's set up to solve several cold cases, sort of organised crime cold cases. And although Rose only had a minor criminal history at the time, he's going to get investigated intensely. It turns out Donnie, this is the nickname of 32-year-old Ronald Lewis Waters, an unemployed tattoo artist. Now, when he's tracked down an interview, mate, he spills the beans straight away. He says that he'd been approached by Rose while having a few drinks at the pub. 
Rose asked if he could go to Kerry's Oasis and knock on the door for him as he wanted to talk with one of the employees there. But if they saw him, they wouldn't let him in. They wouldn't open the door. Rose offered Waters 500 bucks to help him out. <laughs> Unemployed tattoo artist, 500 bucks back in the day. That's good money. So Waters agreed and went along. Now his versions of events is slightly different to Lewis's. As I said before, he was approached by Lindsay Rose in the pub to help him out to gain access to Kerry's Oasis. He was under the impression that Rose just wanted to talk with one of the people at the business, but he had no idea that anyone was going to get hurt or killed. Waters and Rose went to Kerry's Oasis. Waters knocked on the door, and when it was answered by Fatima, Rose, who'd been hiding next to the door, bursts in with a twenty-two pistol in hand. He ordered Fatima into a massage room and assured her that if she did what he asked, she'd be okay. Waters was a bit freaked out at this stage, and when he looked out the window, he saw the Tarago van pull up, with two people, he didn't know who they were, walking towards the entrance. Now this would be Lewis and Kerry, of course, unknown to Waters, he had no idea who they were. At about the time when Kerry came to the door of Kerry's oasis, Fatima was shot three times and killed by Rose, in the presence of Waters execution style with at least one of the three shots fired with a pistol against her head. When Kerry enters the premises, she's confronted by Rose and they get into this sort of scuffle and melee with Rose ended up losing his spectacles. As they were fighting it out, Waters sees Lewis at the door holding a rifle. He goes and attacks him. As Rose was dealing with Kerry, he saw Waters and Lewis going for it and he shouted out to Waters that, hey, don't worry about him, he's the one paying for all this. Now, Kerry, she tries to escape by running down to the back office, but she does this in vain. As Rose chases her down, he ends up shooting her, he stabs her 18 times in a bloody frenzy, and he cuts her throat. The hallway is splattered with blood. It's at this stage that Waters releases Lewis, Lewis then gets up, takes the rifle and gets back in the Tarago van and he ends up driving back to the West Ride massage parlour. Rose then sets fire to the back office and he and Waters leave. Now while driving away, Rose finally explains what was really planned for that night, that he'd been hired as a hitman to kill Kerry by her husband Mark Lewis. It's only minutes later that firefighters are alerted and they make their way to the scene. So after hearing this, investigators bring Lewis in for another interview and they bring up Lindsay Rose. Now Lewis said he knew of him, but that's about it. But in reality, Rose was very close to Lewis, with Lewis employing him for all matters of things like debt collection and security, all these sort of dodgy things. So it ends up they were very close. This stage, Mark Lewis then refuses to be interviewed any further. Now, as I already told you, none of Lewis's eight rifles were a ballistic match to the empty shells found at the crime scene. But the original informant said he was given a gun by Rose and he ended up selling it on. Investigators were able to track down that gun but found after forensic examination that it was similar but they really couldn't definitely say that was the gun that was at the Valentine Day murders. Now, there was a nose piece of a pair of spectacles found at the crime scene. 
Lindsay Rose wore glasses. So investigators checked with all the optometrists in the area and they found Lindsay had put a pair of glasses in for repair just after Valentine's Day in 1994. So we're more than two years after the murders and long story short, Rose realises he's been watched, skips town, changes his look a bit, but is eventually arrested in Adelaide. Rose is arrested and interviewed. Now, Task Force Yandy was not only investigating the Valentine's murders, but others as well, including the January 1984 murders of Edward John or Bill Kavanagh and his girlfriend Carmelita Lee at Hoxton Park. Detective asked him first about Bill Kavanagh and Carmelita Lee murder. They asked Rose, is there anything you can tell me about that? Rose replies in a very matter-of-fact way, yeah, I did it. Now, Rose told detectives that he went to Bill Kavanagh's house. Carmelita Lee was there alone, so he tied her up and gagged her and then waited for Bill to come home. So Bill walks up to the back entrance, took one step into the open sliding doors, looked up and saw Rose pointing a gun at him. Rose fired the rifle, hitting Bill right between the eyes, and as he fell, he dropped and smashed two jars of oysters on the floor. Now, this fact hadn't been released to the media, so only the murderer and a few others knew about these oysters. Carmelita was also shot and killed, so not to leave any witnesses, just like Fatima. Rose was then interviewed about the Valentine's Day murders at the massage parlour. <laughs> Again, he fully confesses and admitted he was responsible. Again, as he went through what happened on the night, he did it in a very matter-of-fact way, and he had absolutely no remorse. Rose said he did it because Lewis kept harassing him to do it and then raised the fee to $20,000. Lewis, he told Rose that he was pissed off that Kerry was running a massage parlour, which seemed strange. I think he thought she was servicing customers, maybe. I honestly don't know how he could be pissed off with that. They've got two separate businesses doing the same thing. Maybe it was because she was maybe servicing customers, not him. Anyway, Rose finally gave in to Lewis's request and Lewis supplied him the gun. Rose would also confess to a January 1987 murder of Renette Holford, a de facto of a wealthy businessman, William Graff. Rose broke into the Graff home to rob the place. Now, he didn't know Renette was home and she saw him. So, again, to not leave any witnesses, he ends up stabbing her 32 times. He tied her up but she ended up dying of her injuries before help arrived. Then they arrested and charged Mark Lewis with murder. Lewis would be found guilty and got life for Kerry's murder and 18 years for Fatima's. Waters, who really didn't have any idea of what he was getting into on the night and was willing to confess, got 18 months as accessory to murder. Rose, for the five murders, got five life sentences and his file was marked never to be released. A funny thing, Rose was an ambulance officer at the Granville train disaster, which occurred in 1977, which I did cover here years and years ago. He was one of the first responders on the scene, and he ended up crawling into the rubble to assist the victims. Now, the rubble at the stage, you know, it's pretty dangerous being in there, as all rubble is. It was a real turnaround to go from absolute hero to loser, hitman, scum. 
Rose would later be charged and found guilty of other crimes, but I guess once you're inside, never to be released, it doesn't really matter what those sentences are. It doesn't really matter what those crimes are. Well, there you go. Another couple that are having issues, so one kills the other. Now, you've got to think, not only is Mark Lewis just scum for doing it, but gutless that he couldn't do it himself, paying his mate Lindsay Rose to do it instead, which eventuated in Fatima being in the wrong place at the wrong time and losing her life as well. I mean, lucky there weren't any customers in the place at the time, or they would have been executed by Rose. Rose, once he knew he was done, just confessed to everything. I I suppose that this was his only chance of getting a more lenient sentence. Now, on appeal, that was raised in that he should be allowed to see the light at the end of the tunnel rather than never to be released. I mean, he did confess to it straight away, gave the whole story of what happened, confessed to five murders, but this was rejected totally. As the judge said, he didn't give any of his victims a light at the end of their tunnels. Oh, and the frenzied attack on Kerry Pang... Been shot in the eye, stabbed 18 times and had a throat cut? Must have been someone involved with the victim, you reckon? Well, Rose had dated her years before and had obviously issues with her. Okay, so that's it for this week. I hope you all have a great new year. I've been your host, Cambo. You've been listening to True Crime Island. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Nights. Boom fucker